Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Welcome back to another episode of the Addy Hour. This is actually episode 45, believe it or not, and I'm really thrilled today to be able to host three guests. That's something we've done every once in a while, but I already know just from talking to the folks offline that this is going to be a really good conversation. There's already a great vibe amongst these three guests. And today we're going to be talking about women in science, culture, community, and impact. So let me go ahead and introduce today's guest. The first person I'd like to introduce is Dr. Laura O'Dell. Dr. O'Dell is an Associate Vice President for Research at the University of Texas, El Paso. She's also a professor there in the Department of Psychology and she's the chair of the Behavioral Neuroscience Concentration. She's done a lot of outstanding work, specifically looking at the neurobiology of substance use disorder, and recently has been focusing on the brain mechanisms that promote nicotine use in vulnerable populations, including females, adolescents, and persons with diabetes. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Dr. Odell, I've known her for quite a while, is just her investment in people and her mentoring. She's someone who has a deep dedication to promoting young faculty and trainees who want to pursue a career in neuroscience, particularly those from traditionally underrepresented backgrounds in science. So I think you all are really going to benefit from all the wisdom, insight, and expertise that she has developed over the years and continues to contribute and want to make sure I give Dr. Odell a a warm welcome to the Addy Hour podcast. Thank you. Of course. The next guest who I'd like to introduce is Dr. Ijeoma Opara, who is an associate professor in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences here at the Yale School of Public Health. She's also the director of the Substances and Sexual Health Lab at Yale. Dr. Opara is someone who's given several talks ac- across the country about her work, highlighting strengths of Black girls in prevention research. She's an award-winning scientist with too many awards to list here, but just to let you all know, she's also someone who has consulted and often consults with universities and hospitals to share strategies on working with Black children and families, enhancing diversity in research, and addressing anti-Black racism among faculty, students, and clinicians. She defines herself as a community-based participatory researcher, and she encourages practitioners, researchers, and clinicians to incorporate a community-level perspective in their work to have the most sustainable impact. So she's someone who's been here at Yale for a few years, but has been doing outstanding work for years. So we are fortunate to be able to recruit her here. Um, I'm happy that she's able to join this conversation today as well. Thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Excited. (laughs) Excellent. 
<laughs> and the final guest that I'd like to introduce is Dr. Erin Calipari, someone who I've actually known for many years since she was a graduate student. Dr. Calipari is the director of the Vanderbilt Center for Addiction Research and an associate professor in the Department of Pharmacology at Vanderbilt University. And since graduate school and beyond, she has been studying how drugs of abuse alter brain function to drive addiction behaviors. Her lab has made seminal discoveries on how drug use changes the brain at a systems and molecular level to give rise to addiction. She's also someone who gives back and is an active member of the research community, serving on executive committees and boards for several scientific societies and also as an associate editor for multiple scientific journals. In her role as director of the Vanderbilt Center for Addiction Research, she's leading a large group of faculty, students, and staff as they work together to understand the brain and the factors that confer risk to addiction. She's someone who's also a role model to many, and on a personal note, I should add, she's a role model to several of the trainees in my group as well. So I'm grateful for the work that she continues to do, the way that she leads by example and in her director role. And through the center, they've actually been able to impact both local and the national communities through their education of the public on the science of addiction. So I'm grateful to be able to welcome Dr. Erin Calipari to the podcast here as well. And I will say, as you all have heard about these three women, this was no small feat to actually get all of them together <laughs> in one place at one time. So I'm grateful this conversation is even happening. And I'm really looking forward to just our opportunity to be able to hear from them and to hear again from their wisdom and expertise. So as they know, as you all know, as listeners, I always like to start just jumping in and asking and checking in with people to see how you all are doing um, right now. Obviously, we're in the midst of another upcoming election season. Lots going on politically in the country, lots going on around the world in terms of political tensions and wars and challenges we have to deal with, let alone all the, the things that these individuals do on a day-to-day -day basis in their work, their important work in mentoring and thinking about addiction and substance use and health in general. So with all of that, that's a lot to say in one, in one <laughs> sentence, but I want to just check in and see how you're navigating among, amongst any of, those, uh, any of those aspects. And Laura, I think we'll go ahead and start with you. <laughs> oh, I was hoping not to go first, but I'll go first. Um, I, I, I guess um, I'm equally hopeful as I am overwhelmed. Um, I think um, in a lot of ways, Nee, the pandemic mm. isn't over. I think we're in an interesting tale of it. Um, I feel hopeful because I just visited, you know, um, an amazing place, WashU. I get to meet more trainees. I have tremendous hope for the next generation of scientists just um, you know, hopeful. Um, I'm a little overwhelmed. The typical things, I have a daughter about to leave for college. And so, you know, every phase of life has its challenges. And um, I think uh, that's what I'm dealing with now on a personal level. I have a grant due next week. As a <laughs> I was about to say, it's, it's probably all of things. us. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of us. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I'm just, I'm looking for more mm. kindness in the world. I'm looking for more kindness. Well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> so honestly, and just, just hearing you voice all those things and to see how you're juggling them, I think is even, I mean, we we're just starting the conversation, but already informative because of the multiple roles you know, in your leadership, thinking about impact you're having, thinking about family and the way that you're honest and kind of navigating through that and still thriving. Not to say that it's easy, but I definitely appreciate the way that you've already kind of voiced that for this conversation, which I think is really important. Of course. Thank you. Ijeoma, can we jump to you? Back at you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I'm doing... And knee's fine, by the way. 
I'm doing doing as good as I as I can. You know, one of the things that I pride myself with is I I make an effort for myself and my team and our work to be the light of this world. Mm. Um, What we're seeing politically, what we're seeing, um, this attack on diversity, this attack on race, this is not new. It's it's one of the reasons why I do the work that I do to highlight strengths of um, communities of color, highlight strengths of children. And I won't allow this stuff to distract me from this work because a lot of this is really a big distraction, you know? Mm. So all we can do is follow our passion, continue keeping our eyes focused on the work um, and not trying to put ourselves in positions where we're trying to carry so many things. Because what happens is you end up, you know, as somebody who's a public health researcher, you end up putting so much um, stress on your body, on your mind. And we can't, you know, do the work that we have been called to do if we're dead mm-hmm. or if we die from a heart attack or if we are riddled with anxiety or panic, you know, attacks because we're trying to take on too much. Um, so, you know, and I know I know it's difficult to say that, especially in, I think we're seeing a generation, at least I'm seeing it as somebody who works with young people where they want to be activists, they want to fight for what's right. And I don't, I'm not against that. You should absolutely advocate um, if you've been called to do that. But it's also so important to remember that we can be hopeful. We can be the light of the world. We can, you know, use our work and our efforts to do great things. Um, and not allow this stuff to distract us. So long story short, I'm doing okay. I've been avoiding the news, you know, so I've been mm-hmm. <laughs> avoiding the news as much as I can, you know, so, but I'm, I'm doing good. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that's so good. And there's so much that you just, I mean, so many insights you already shared just in talking about how you're doing. I'm sure it's a lot of that that we'll kind of come back to um, and unpack. And again, in the same way as Laura was sharing, I think even your introductory comments are going to be so helpful for people just to be able to hold those different pieces together to know the work is important but it's mm-hmm. also good to just pace and make sure that you can continue to be around to do the work. So definitely Absolutely. appreciate that. Mm-hmm. All right, Aaron, going to jump to you next. I, I love you had time start. to prepare now. Cause you I, was, okay. <laughs> I, I love that we start and he says, Oh, we're going to start with this question. I'm just going to ask you how you're doing. And then they start and say some totally inspiring stuff like, Oh, I'm doing this thing. And <laughs> guess what? And okay. First of all, I'm already inspired. It, so I, I just took over as a director of a center and I have been spending a lot of time reflecting on actually the stuff that you guys brought up. How do I make myself effective by not overextending myself? Um, which mm-hmm. I think is really a challenging thing. But then I went, I was just, um, I'm also on a visit um, at a school and I, I, just, I had lunch with students yesterday and I always like for them to talk at these lunches. Like I want to hear what they're saying. And yeah. they brought up, the issue of diversity and these political attacks on diversity. And we talked for a really long time. And I think sometimes it's so hard when these huge things around you are changing and you feel really helpless. What am I, how can I change stuff? And we talked about individuals and focusing on people around you. So my dad told me when I was younger, he was like, you know what, you can change the world, but even if you're overwhelmed, focus on making the life of one person around you better. That, that mm-hmm. how, how do you look out in your lab? You're a lab member, you're a student. How do you look out and try to reflect on things other people might be experiencing, right? Intersectional groups, people who are from marginalized communities, what are they experiencing that you are not? What kinds of anxieties and stress do they have? And how can you do a few things today to make their life easier that, that maybe aren't that hard for you? 
ask them to collaborate on a paper so that they have access to these kind of maybe easy wins. Make sure it's check in on people when there's news that you think might be affecting their mental health. And we just talked about how sometimes you feel lost in a world and you see these pol policies being enacted and you think, I as an individual can't change that what do I do? And I think what you do is you say, okay, well, let me focus on my local community. And what starts to happen mm -hmm. is when you make a difference in the life of somebody and they recognize what that did for them, they then go and say, well, I want to do this too. And so at this level, right, you start to get this pay it forward thing where people really value the people around them. And then you have these supportive places. It doesn't fix the big picture world, mm. but it does make a difference in the lives of individuals. And so I've really been focusing on when I'm overwhelmed, taking a step back and saying, okay, instead of trying to change everything at once, how do I positively affect the lives of one or two people in my orbit today? And I try to do mm. that every day. And sometimes you don't, <laughs> but most times you can start to see little mm -hmm. things that you can do that then people really start to buy into that kind of community thing. And so this is I'm doing great because I'm really reflecting on how to do that. Um, but I know mm. that other people are struggling. And so I, I try to talk a lot about this because I think it's because we get so overwhelmed by the, the, the vastness of these issues. And then we lose sight of like what we can do today, tomorrow in our immediate environment. Mm. That's really good. Definitely appreciate you know that level of candor too, especially as you're stepping into a new role and just taking on all those pieces. And again, I think people are really going to resonate with what you shared, that level of honesty and just the practicality of it too. Um, I mean, there's so many things that you all have already started to kind of allude to, like so many different directions we could go. So I'm trying to decide, you know, what what type of thing we can jump on next. But I know that as people are listening, there's pieces that are probably kind of sticking with them and resonating with them. One thing that I want to just also kind of loop back to, because Aaron, as you were talking about kind of making individual impacts and in individual people in small groups, I'm also curious because all three of you are obviously very aware of these different aspects. You're really invested in mentoring. You're thinking about just bringing in different voices in the work that you do. I'm curious about your, your career journey and how you got to the place where you are with that perspective, whether that was personal experience or things that you saw in other places or things that you heard from others like your dad or other mentors. So I know I'm doing this, I'm asking three questions at once, which I have a tendency to do, but curious about how you all have kind of gotten into the place where you are. And I'm gonna let you all decide whoever wants to jump in first. Then we can kinda uh, I, I can, you know, I talk there. about this a lot because I bet you a million dollars that everyone else will be more inspiring than I am. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea where I was going and what I was doing and what was possible. And I was playing basketball in college, thought that was a career. Why? I don't know. I'm like a five, nine small woman. Like it wasn't even really that good. And I went to college thinking this is the rest of my life and ended up here. Right. And I think some of it is because I worked hard and I care and I get excited about science. But what I started to reflect on when I, when I got my own lab was how the heck did I get here? Like, why me? And I started to realize that it was because the people in my life that were making this, not making decisions for me, but mm. opening doors for me that I did not know were being opened. Oh, be involved in this project. Hey, I'm going to nominate you for this award. And I started to look and say, okay, these little things that mentors in my life did for me allowed me to be on a path without me having to stress about the path. Mm. And I got to just do what was fun. And so how do I do that for other people? And so I think my weird lack of like planning or ins 
in some sort of inspiring, I'm going to be a faculty member. I did not know that that was a career path that existed mm. when I was an undergraduate. So how did I end up here? Because a, an undergrad mentor was like, hey, are you applying to grad school? And I was like, what's grad school? And he was like, okay, well, first of all, how do you not know that? But I didn't. And he said, here's how you apply. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh no, deadlines are in two weeks. He's like, don't worry, I got your back. I'll help you get the letters together. I'll make calls if people are uncomfortable. Like, how do I help you do this? And then I got to grad school and I had an amazing advisor there that was like, want to learn voltammetry, like the hardest technique under the sun. But it was fun because she was amazing. That's how Nee and I met. Mm -hmm. We're in the analytical chemistry space. You, you know, and so you look at that and then you say, how do I create those mm -hmm. opportunities for people who are exceptional, but don't know yet what they need to do to get there. And so I think mm. not knowing what I was doing, I want to create open doors for exceptional people who also don't know what they're doing. Mm. And I think a lot of times that's part of the key to having a diverse workforce is making sure you make space for exceptional people that don't have connections already where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, and it's obvious you're paying that forward in a lot of ways too. So it's really helpful just to hear hear you talk about that aspect of your journey. Cause I think so many times people see us in these positions and they don't necessarily know the path and they assume yeah. that we just kind of had this all figured out, which obviously I think all of us could share is not often the case, <laughs> definitely <laughs> exactly. the anomaly more so than, than yeah. the rule. So definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Ijoma or, or Laura, if you want to jump in. Yeah. I, um, to piggyback off of what Aaron said, I too, um, didn't know that being a faculty member was a career path of mine. Um, but what I will say, my journey is, is very different um, because I, my parents both passed away when I was young mm. from heart disease. Oh, wow. So, and it was clear that it was, um, you know, a disparity issue. It was clear that it was a race related issue. It was, mm. it was clear that it was because of their immigrant status and not knowing how to navigate healthcare is one of the reasons why they died early. Um, and I remember vowing that I wanted to be in a field where I would advocate for people, where I would fight you know, for health equity, um, but I didn't necessarily know how to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and before my dad died, because he died suddenly, he died from a heart attack. Um, but before he died, a few, you know, a few years ago, when I was in college, I was one of the people where I, didn't, I knew I had to go to college but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was so interested in everything. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a physician. I wanted to be a lawyer. I was so interested in everything. And I remember my father telling me, just follow what you're passionate about. I don't care what you do, which is very rare because I'm Nigerian. Mm -hmm. Usually Nigerian, parents, Nigerian parents will tell you mm -hmm. you can be a lawyer. Three options. Engineer, <laughs> doctor, lawyer. That's it. Like, that's mm -hmm. nothing else. But my dad was unique. And I'm very grateful for that, where he told me, Follow your passion and just be the best at it, whatever. And you're going to be the best at it because mm -hmm. it's your passion and you're going to care about the outcome. You're going to care about the work that you do. And I was like, Dad, what does that mean? What is passion? What is that? Like, you know, like, what does that mean? But the more that I went through, you know, college and switching majors and just, you know, interacting with people, I started to get closer and closer to what my passion was. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that being a researcher um, and being an educator was something that I wanted to do. And I remember when I was in graduate school doing my master's, I won't say the name of the school, but I don't wanna embarrass them. But if you look at my bio, you could easily tell you know, which school it is. I did, I did two masters, so I won't, say, I won't say which one it is. But I remember navigating and asking professors, I wanna get a PhD, can someone give me, like, can I work in someone's lab? I'll do it mm -hmm. for free. 
-hmm. Like I'll volunteer. I just want to like learn how to like become a researcher and, and contribute to a paper or something. And nobody gave me an opportunity. They were like, oh, Joma, we don't think it's a good fit for you. But then I would sit there and watch them hire my classmates and do mm -hmm. all these things. And it was actually a black woman that didn't even attend my school. I just randomly ran into her at like an outreach event. I just, she had just graduated with her PhD. She was talking about how she just started a, on the tenure track. And I was like, oh my gosh, a black woman who's doing research and she's a professor. I just ran up to her and asked her, please, I really want to get a PhD, but I don't know how to navigate mm -hmm. it. Can you please help me? She was like, sure, absolutely. So, and it was because of her, I met with her every Sunday for like six months in Panera mm -hmm. Bread. And we sat and she broke it down to me how to write a paper. And it was her dissertation data that ended up being one of the first papers that I published. And then she wow. kind of navigated me on how to apply for a PhD. So, you know, it's something that I, and then from there, you know, I became a social worker. And then once I practiced as a social, you know, was a, was a social worker. And um, that also kind of inspired me on what field I wanted mm -hmm. to get into, which is a whole mm -hmm. different, it's a whole different story. But I say that to say, like, I try to do this even now in my, with my lab, you know, I have a very diverse lab, probably one mm -hmm. of the diverse labs in the school of public health, if not Yale university. And it's very intentional too, mm -hmm. because I know that there are many um, students who don't get opportunities to do research, who don't have advisors sitting down with them, walking them through the application yeah. process. I know I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. until I got a PhD and I started to really learn what it means to have good mentors who genuinely mm -hmm. care about you and stuff. So I, I try to give people opportunities um, because some of, some of the, the students I interact with are brilliant and exceptional and all they need is just an opportunity, just a door open, yeah. that's all they need, you yeah. know, and oftentimes, implicit bias comes in and we just look at them and think, oh, you know, they went to a, a state school or they went to a bad school or whatever, or they're not, they don't have any papers, so they can't contribute, mm. you know, to us. But I see myself in a lot of students who come to me and say, look, I've never written a paper before, but I want to be in your lab, you know, and I sense their passion because they mm. may be passionate about prevention or substance use prevention or, you know, uplifting black youth. And it's that passion that draws mm. me to them. And it's that passion that will give them the wisdom and the determinants to learn how to be an exceptional researcher. And it hasn't, haven't proven me wrong since and stuff. So, you know, so it's, so my journey to science was, while it was different, it has inspired me to be the kind of mentor that I am today. Um, because mm. if it wasn't for that young, that young black professor, you know, yeah. seven years ago that gave me an opportunity, I probably wouldn't be here. I probably wouldn't be doing, doing um, this work. So I'm very grateful to people, people like her. Mm. That's huge. I mean, everything you just touched on, and there's already a lot of themes that you all are talking about. They're mm -hmm. al already overlapping. Just that power of that one-to-one -one interaction, and how important, and even the inspiration mm -hmm. from your parents, and mm -hmm. so much there. So again, just thanks for sharing that honestly. And again, I mean, this is the same thing. Like people need to hear our stories and to know the path, mm -hmm. and to know how important each of these interactions are, and how you can tie that to the passion. I also think it's great that you have an eye for that too. Mm -hmm. So I feel like not everybody pays attention right. to that yeah. or is willing to kind of let themselves get into that place of seeing potential in others. So, yeah. Well, okay. Can that. I, can I ask a question? I'm like yeah. using this to help me. Okay. So how, this is something I think about. <laughs> you just said something that I think about all the time. Like how, you know, as we've moved up in academia and we've done well, we're at institutions that are amazing. And I keep seeing students come in with these amazing CVs and research experience. They've started in high school, right? How are, do you have strategies for making sure you don't like eliminate someone who was like yourself mm. from these opportunities? Like, I think about this a lot. Like 
if I set a bar like this, I would not be able to clear that bar when I was where they were. Mm. How do I create spaces when I do that? I also really focus on what you're talking about passion, but like, do you have strategies? I always try to figure out how do I explain to other people how to do that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So what are you asking me or asking? Yeah, me? I'm asking anybody, or, but I was asking you because it sounds like you have a very deliberate approach to it as well. And I did it. I'm always looking for new strategies to do that to make sure that you get mm -hmm. exceptional people, but you don't create barriers based on, oh, well, both their parents mm -hmm. are PhDs. So they worked in the lab in summer and they got right. all these experiences or there was no one who looked like them for them to go to to ask. So then they couldn't like, how do you like, how do you do that? Especially in a place mm -hmm. like Yale, where the students, I'm sure they're coming in with CVs that are insane before they even kind of have started in graduate school. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, one of the things that I think I do is I don't only hire students from Yale. So yeah. I, and I think be, gratefully because I'm a community engaged researcher and my research labs, um, my, my research lab as a, is at Yale, but we do a majority of our research in New Jersey and urban communities. That actually is a motivation for me to make sure I'm recruiting people Mm -hmm. um, recruiting young people from New Jersey and others, you know, other, other states, um, you know, too. Um, I also have a balance in my lab where I just, you know, just because a student, for example, is, um, is a person, a student of color, for example, a lot of the students of color that, ha that come up to me are exceptional, you know, already. I look at them like, oh my gosh, like, how did you get all this experience? So I often have them mentor the students that may not have that experience. It's always a balance, you know, in my in my lab where I'll have some students who, you know, who did the traditional route. They were doing research in undergrad. They, you know, they know how to navigate. They know stacks, know how to navigate the stuff. And then I may have a student that I that does that and, and also has a passion. Everybody in my lab has to have a passion for doing this work. I don't I, I very rarely hire someone because they just think this work is fun and it's cute. No, no, no. I need you to come into this lab knowing that we're creating solutions. We're not just mm. doing research for fun. We're like we're doing it because we have people who are relying on us to mm. deliver um, solutions and to co-create programs and, and stuff together to end the substance use epidemic, to end STI, HIV epidemic, et cetera. So everybody, you know, regardless of your skill level, has to mm. communicate that to me. Um, you know, and, you know, and I have to believe it. Um, but then also, too, they're often mentoring the um, the students that may not have that experience in writing a literature review yeah. or. And with that, as a and it's difficult, I know, for PIs. And I went into this knowing that by doing this, it may your work may it, it may seem like your work is taking longer mm -hmm. to be, you know, to be completed because you're spending so much time training and providing training opportunities. But what I will say is that I, I have, at least in my strategy, it has made us even more productive too. Mm -hmm. Like being able to see, uh, to, to be able to see a student that went from never writing a literature review to being a co-author on like four or five papers within the span of two years is like remarkable, you know, remarkable mm -hmm. to me. And even if they don't stay at Yale and they go on to, you know, I've, I've had students come to me and say, I don't want to do research. I just want to be in your lab. And I'm like, okay, sure. And then like a year later, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to apply for my PhD now. I want to do this and that. It's like remarkable, but it's because mm -hmm. we created a community. Yeah. where research, they can see themselves mm -hmm. and their interest in research and stuff. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. It's, it's, it's yes. often a balance that um, that I, I find, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Wow, that's that huge. That definitely like, went above <laughs> I'm just beyond. thinking of that, that shift that you're seeing. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, I, you know, and I'm grateful that I'm in a department, you know, I'm in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences and I sit on the PhD committee, for example, mm. and I'm grateful that I have a department chair that also has this vision. Yeah. So he also acknowledges that while, yes, we have criteria of what type of students, um, what type of background, what educational experiences they need to have before getting a PhD or even a master's degree, we also um, collectively understand the, the, mm. the, the importance of work experience, of upbringing. Um, we really rely heavily on the personal statements. I wanna know who you are aside from your research and how important this work is to you as well too. So um, so that also helps yeah. to being in a department that yeah. understands the importance of that. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Laura, just to give you an opportunity to jump in as well about your journey and then so many things I wanna kind of pull back to that, uh, <laughs> that are already being pulled out in this conversation. Sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I think <clears throat> I was thinking as as they were answering the question, me that we met each other, I believe, mm-hmm. through a fellowship, and and I remember very fondly Ovid Trout yep. and Joe Martinez, who were absolutely um, dedicated, and I understand mm. them now because it is such, I get such a kick and and such a rush off of watching my mm. trainees thrive and own it, and just. I, I get them now differently. And I, I think what I would add to the conversation and, and perhaps to answer Aaron's question, I'm at UTEP. It's very different, mm-hmm. obviously, than Yale. And what I look for in students mm-hmm. is hungry. Are they hungry? Are they passionate? Are they going to take this opportunity and fly with it? And, um, you know, I love this concept she brought up about peer mentoring, but I think what's important to say for the people that are listening is there, there's a name for this. It's cultural mm. capital. I did not have a professor mom. I, did, I have an amazing mom who supported me, but, you know, I didn't have people around me saying this mm-hmm. is what to do. Um, I did have mentors that saw the hunger and the passion and the fire in my belly for the science. And I think that they didn't see me for my color or my gender or whatever. They saw me for the hungry scientist mm-hmm. that I was. Um, you asked about self-care and and I think for me, mm-hmm. that's been a journey. Um, you know, I figured out quickly it wasn't gardening. It was mm-hmm. its friendships with other women mm-hmm. and other scientists and it's reading. I voraciously read about leadership and I try to put a name to the things mm-hmm. that I'm experiencing. And, you know, I'm, I'm learning how to be careful and how to use my voice. And, and we have a first grant, as Vanderbilt does, where the landscape for diversity mm-hmm. is changing. And I am learning. I am being challenged in ways that I never thought I would be challenged in. When I saw Ovid Trout and Joe Martinez lead yeah. these programs, I mean, the challenges for us are different. And um, I think it takes courage. I think it takes Mm -hmm. us learning, continuing to learn how to navigate. But I love what Dr. Opara said about Mm -hmm. not being afraid. You know, uh, the fear and the distraction Mm -hmm. is real. It's very real. Um, You all are a shot Mm -hmm. in my arm today for for continuing to do the work. So those are my thoughts. That's great. Definitely inspiring. Yeah, just you're having me reminisce too about just those who led the way for us too. In so many, so many different capacities. Yeah. And, you know, yes. yeah. Yes. And peer mentoring me. You're a peer mentor for me. I, I, I really appreciate what you do and how oh, you use course. your voice. Thanks so much. And it's been, I mean, this will sound funny, but it's always an encouragement for me to be able to lean on people and get insights from others too. Cause 
believe it or not, I've said this in other stories, it took a push for me to actually jump into this space as well. I'm much more, I'm much more happy in the background. Um, so even the fact that my face is a logo for this podcast, that took some, <laughs> that took some stretching. But at some point, I also realized just from talking to folks like you that if I had the passion for it, I had to step into it and lead or I wouldn't be able to bring others along the same way. Not that others couldn't do it, but that that was a opportunity that I had to bring that to fruition. So I definitely appreciate that as well. I have to share one quick thing, Nee, and that is that I'm doing some radio oh, nice. at, in, at Utah. You've inspired <laughs> me to do it. And, and when we have guest speakers from out of town, they let me share the We Are Utah nice. podcast. So, um, yeah, direct impact on, on wow. others. And it's so, That's great these to are hear. so fun. These are such great things to do, like that you guys feel the call to do that. Because I think one thing that I see in a lot of people is not everybody mm-hmm. is comfortable doing that, right? And I think that like, you need people mm. to step up and do these things and say, I'm going to be the public face of this because people need to see that like scientists are real people and that we experience these things too, right? Mm. But not everyone's comfortable doing that. And I mm. think when you are yeah. capable, you create space so that not the people who aren't comfortable don't have to, that that's filled, the void is there, but you can then support people mm. without making them have mm. to do that in a community, like in a local community, maybe some people don't mm. want to be fighting and arguing with people all day to make things happen. And so you can do that for other people. So it's great that you actually take the time to do this because people are interested and they want to do it, but then it gives people the information without making everyone have to do it. And I think it's weirdly protects people in that way. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I feel like it's also full circle because this won't surprise you by me. I've learned so much just from doing the work. And I'm sure all of you could share that too. Just even the way you've talked about people you've men- you've mentored and the passion they bring, the insights they bring, Adrian, we're talking about the papers that they're publishing. I mean, I feel like this is, again, getting back to that whole aspect of community and what we're doing together as community, which is huge. The other piece I was going to pull on, because I think you all have shared like so many inspiring stories, mentors that you've had, ways that you've mentored, chairs that have been supportive. I think another layer, which is also beneath this, is how to navigate when those support systems are in place. I mean, we've been talking about what's happening nationally, but for you all as women, as leaders, as scientists, what do you do in those situations when the support isn't there? And how do you still have an impact either in people's individual lives or in the global sense of what you're doing in your research or in your department or in the field or in society? Like what what's the... What's the way to navigate through that? I know we've touched on that a little bit, but if you all be willing to kind of dig deep on that piece as well. I'll leave it open for whoever wants to jump into that huge question first. (laughs) I'll I'll start maybe, but I think the vulnerable thing to say is I do great when Mm. I'm supported. (laughs) I'm amazing. (laughs) What what I'm learning is when you're not supported and and you know you're not supported and I'm navigating my own changes in leadership Mm -hmm. at my institution and Mm -hmm. you don't feel supported, you know, there's where the learning comes in and there's where the, mm. the grit and the background is not a detriment, mm. but a strength. You know, I, I, I know how to pick myself up from my boots. And so when things are changing and and I know how to reach out mm. to my community, I let, you know, my colleagues and my peers inspire me when I don't feel supported locally. Um, necessarily. Um, I also, you know, I'm in El Paso. This is a a very interesting place to be in terms of immigration and politics. And I just have to open my door to see how lucky I am and how I have to make the best of what I have. 
Um, and, and this is my moment to do those things. I remember Ovid Trout, I, you know, what can I do? How can I give back? And he's like, you'll have your moment. <laughs> and I think if I don't recognize that this is, mm. this is my moment, some days it's, it's an undergrad, some days it's a postdoc, some days it's a peer. Um, but, but I think again, I'm, I'm really, I do great when I'm supported. I'm learning a lot when mm. I don't feel supported. I'm really learning a lot. That's yeah, such a helpful perspective. No, that you're touching but, on something but this, special but this, for me. <laughs> this gets at something that I think of a lot, right? It's like, where is your energy going to have the biggest impact, right? Like we have a finite mm. amount of energy. We have a finite amount of bandwidth. We have a finite amount of space to take care of ourselves and others. And so I mm. spend a lot of time thinking about where does my energy have the biggest impact at an institution that supports me? Vanderbilt has been incredibly supportive. My impact can be enormous, right? I have support from like our PR people that when we're doing addiction education stuff, they make sure that stuff gets out there. And so you have these people, my chair is just supportive of me doing some stuff. That's not only science, right? That may not bring in the dollars, but it mm -hmm. impacts the community. But if I'm in a place that's not supportive of that, one, I'm still gonna do what I want. Like, fire me, okay? Like, life is short, man. But like, at the same, but at the same time, then I then I start to say, okay, my let's say you're in a department that's not gonna help you do that. Fine, I'll do it myself, and I'll focus on people who actually care. So that might just be my lab. It may be making faculty support groups. Mm. It may be organizing happy hours for people that mm. I feel like are being isolated. And so I think there's there's always a way to make an impact, whether you're supported or not. And my kind of idea mm. is, you can get on board. Or you cannot, and that is totally fine. And I will figure out a way to do this myself. And I do think it's just, but mm. I'm not going to hit my like head against a rock to try to make something happen if someone else is in the way, because I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to just keep taking mm. that kind of, those kind of hits. It makes me sad. It gives me stress and anxiety. And I, I just, I get up every day and I say, where can I make the maximal impact and I can always make the maximal impact when I'm well, when I'm doing, doing well. So I put myself in those positions. I do think what I will end with is as I've gotten older and I've done well in my job, I've had a lot more space to do what I want to do. So I think when you're younger, sometimes older faculty are giving you advice, just, just stand up to that guy, tell this person to shut up. Like I can do that now. I do try to reflect yeah. and say, I couldn't do that then, but there is always a way to do yeah. that. And as you get you do well here at open stores there. And so I do think support me or not, that's fine. I'll find the community that supports me. Right. And it may not be the administration. It may not be this people. There's, there's, there are people mm -hmm. out there that will support you. Mm. That's really good. You Joe, I'm guessing you have a lot of thoughts. You've been <laughs> nodding, nodding vigorously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to add to, you know, what Aaron and Lauren, Laura said, which I think we're, we're definitely spot on. Um, I think two things, um, I, I would suggest, first of all, I am very supported in, at Yale. I'm not just saying that because I work here and because you work here, Nee, but I really am. You know, I, I'm, a pretty, I'm a pretty vocal person. So if I, did, if I wasn't supported, I wouldn't have any problem saying it, but I am. And, but I do know many people who don't feel supported in their institutions mm -hmm. and in the toll, the mental health toll it has had on them the the toll it has had on their work yeah. too. And like, you know, like Erin said, when you're supported, you're just able to do just so much more, mm, you know, when mm -hmm. you're supported. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would I would offer two suggestions that I think have helped me just over the years in academia is really valuing mentors. 
Your mentors, I even I even prefer that mentors should, don't even have to be in your institution. Like having mentors outside of your institution and multiple mm-hmm. mentors. Um, like I have mentors for different areas of my life. I have career mentors. I have life mentors. I have um, I have like mentors specifically in public health, specifically around leadership. Like I have mm-hmm. a whole team of mentors um, yeah. that I run to, you know, for advice or that just give me words of wisdom. And I also think too, and we haven't talked about this, really investing in family and friends, mm-hmm. you know, like like really running to them because one of the one of my mentors, funny enough, mentioned this to me. She was like, you know, your colleagues are not your friends. Yeah, they, you know, it's some of them maybe, but most of them really aren't. They're your colleagues, you know. So mm-hmm. and they may disappoint you because they're not family, you know, they're not blood, they're not your friends. You know, some a lot of them are competing with you for the same grant, for the same opportunities. So, you know, while you may have fun with them, we always have to remember that our work sometimes can just take over us and mm-hmm. consume us. And we end up missing out on opportunities to spend time with family and friends. These are people that can pour into us when we may feel empty or we may feel drained or or not supported, for example, in our research and our work, et cetera, and stuff. So I would, you know, add that for anyone who doesn't feel supported, mm. um, you know, really tapping into your social circle outside mm. of academia, um, mm-hmm. if you can. If you're blessed enough to have a bunch of friends um, in academia, wonderful. That's great, you know, but um, but definitely people that that the people that don't care about what you're doing, mm-hmm. people that are just like, what is publications? Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. people that just really check in with you. Like, that's, that's what, yeah. like, that's when I really check in with you. You know, yeah. I, I think it's so important. You know, well, it gives you perspective. Of a lot of the stuff. Yeah, it gives you perspective. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think this is something I see in students a lot of times now, and I get why. Right, the the bar has risen. What students are doing now, like, I wouldn't get into my undergrad or my grad program now with what I had then, right? So you have this ever-changing bar, and I think it's so easy. And we as faculty do it too. You see this in a lot of junior faculty. You get so consumed. If I don't get that grant, what's going to happen? And you're just spiraling and having... My family has no idea what they do. They they thought I was a pharmacist for a very long time. And so going, going home... And ask, have being a postdoc and then being like, when are you going to graduate? And you're like, you came to my graduate. You were there. Like I did several times actually now. Oh and just goodness. having that perspective of like your impact on the world doesn't have to be your sci- only your science impact. Most people are not scientists. We are in a very small mm-hmm. percentage of the world that is so highly educated, this is not most people's experience. And so taking yeah. a step back sometimes and saying, okay, that experiment didn't work, but like, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I have great family, I can go with my friends. What's the worst that can happen? Like a lot of people, like for me, I have a PhD, like what if I lost this job, I'd be sad because I am passionate about it, but like I could do a hundred other things. Like there's so many things you can do. And I, I do think it's really, really easy as you've gotten farther and farther down a path to take a step back and see the bigger picture. And I, I remind myself of that all the time. And my family, because they're not in my field and they have no idea what a paper is, they're the, they're the key to helping me do that. They humble me every single day. That's so good. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's a mom, but, you know, certainly nothing's more humbling than, than, you know, I, I start to talk to my children and I'm like, it's a paper. Like, what am I, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely true. Here? As I mentioned several times, the kids will always put things in perspective and put things in check. 
but just family in general, like you all are highlighting. I think, I mean, the the piece that's come out multiple times too is also just the importance of mentors in different places. Like you, sometimes I think people feel like I have to have a mentor in my department, in my school, X, Y, and Z, whereas sometimes, I mean, that's good to have definitely, but sometimes that person can also have a cloudy perspective because they're in the same environment as you. They can't see things from outside. So I've heard many of you say that. I think that's a really important piece, which I've tried to emphasize to students, junior faculty, over and over again. So, so many um, gems that you all are, uh, you are dropping here. One thing, because I'm thinking about the listeners too, I'm going to push even a little bit further to dig kind of in that next layer, because we've been talking about, you know, so many aspects of support and ways to be creative in that support. But we've also talked about just the importance of your own self-care. I think people will also be curious for you all as leaders, like you who will have days when things are challenging, when you're not at your best, you're not at your peak. What do you do in those moments? How vulnerable are you with your teams? How much are you acting to just kind of keep things moving? Like basically, how do you how do you balance those? And there might not be, I know there's no one correct answer, but something that I've navigated through a lot and curious if you just share for listeners how you kind of navigate through in those pieces. Because so many times people assume that leaders just have it together all the time, which obviously I, is not the case. So but we still have to lead even when we don't. I'm so happy you asked this because I've been going on a lot of. Go ahead, Aaron. I've been, go, I've been going on a lot of visits, and I meet with leaders in the, the communities, and I ask them this every time. I'm like, okay, I'm leading things now. Mm. So are you? You can be honest with me. Like, how do you do this? Like, there's so much going on. How do you do this? Mm. How are you present for your students when you're having a bad day or things don't go well? Like, how do you do this? Yeah. I think there's when I'm like overwhelmed. There's some things I can always do. Like. I'm not going to, if I'm like overwhelmed, mm. I can't sit and write a grant in a day. It's, it, it's just, that's not the thing, but I can always meet with a student and talk and help them solve those problems. So I tend to organize my life where if things are, mm. where am I most efficient? And so even if I'm really overwhelmed, there's things that mm. I can power through and then there's things that I can't. And so it's okay to say, okay, well, if I move this till tomorrow, instead of beating myself up tomorrow, I might be able to do it twice like the, at twice the speed and do this. I do. I am pretty honest with my, my mm. students about when I'm overwhelmed and when I need to take space mm. and when I need to take time. I think that mm. that's a really important aspect because students come to me and they say, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. And I say, you know, I actually deal with this too. This isn't like, they're looking at me thinking, oh, well, mm. she got here because she didn't have any of these experiences. And it's like, no, I mm. learned what works for me, where I'm healthiest, where my effort is being used. And so for me in these kinds of positions with people where people's the focus, I do a lot better. If I was in a different kind Mm. of position, I wouldn't do as well. And so I think just figuring out who you are and how you navigate that. And like, I get overwhelmed a lot. And you know what I do? The biggest thing is I ask for help. You don't have to do it alone. Mm. I I think that's the biggest thing. When my students come to me, they say, I'm overwhelmed. I say, well, why are you trying to do this alone? You're having a bad day and you need mm, to go home. Why don't you ask your colleague who's right next to you, who would love to help you because they're really, really close with you and they yeah. want you to do well to take over for today and you pay them back in the future. And so the big thing is being honest and then also just mm-hmm. figuring out how you work best and also who is going to support you when you're having a bad day. I need this done and I can't do this. Can you help me finish this letter? I have friends help me do stuff yeah. like that all the time. And then I get them back when they're having a bad day. And so again, it's all, all about the support mm-hmm. system. But yeah. I want to hear what other people have to say because I don't. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, this is what I'm stressed about right now. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's good. And it's in real time too. Yeah. I mean, that's so so practical. I know because sometimes people just have a hard time getting over that barrier. Like, oh, I don't want to ask other people. I don't want to show them having a hard time. And 
So for you to be able to lead by example was huge. People love helping you. This, this changed my career. I started emailing people for help Mm. and I thought I was inconveniencing them. People are thrilled to lend their expertise. They're thrilled that you respect them enough to ask. Mm. And if they're not, Mm-hmm. Those are the people you need in your life. And so I have a lot of people that when I ask for help, they're like so happy I came to them because they love it. I'm asking them for mm-hmm. help with something they are better at than I am. So I'm telling them, I respect yeah. you. I respect you for this, but also help me. <laughs> and I think people, I yeah. don't think people are upset <laughs> about that. I think people, I love when people ask yeah. me for help. That's so good. Yeah. Laura, do you want to react or add some insights? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I I agree with um, with Aaron. I think for me as a leader, um, I'm very so I have a a very small um, group of we call ourselves frolics. So we're like friends, but also colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) And we're at different institutions. (laughs) We're at different institutions, and we Mm -hmm. um, we've met we met through like a a fellowship, and then we just um, you know maintain our friendship. It's about three or four of us, and we carve out time to write together um, every week. Really, but during that space, before we even start writing, we do a check in. Like, how's everyone Mm -hmm. doing? Mm -hmm. And there are some days where um, you know I may come on the call and say. I don't even have the space to write. I just want to just talk about what happened, you know, this week um, and or vice versa. And then we'll talk about it and give each other advice and support. It's a safe space to really vent. And once we realize that we've actually vented and shared, we're actually able to like clear our minds and actually, you know, get to to work, whether it's writing a paper. I know for me when I'm, I, it's, it's a, maybe it's the nerd in me, but when I'm like anxious or overwhelmed about something, I love diving into writing uh, for some reason. I don't like, it, it's always been therapeutic for me, even mm. as a child to write. So I'm in a great field where I am measured, yeah. my success is measured based on how much <laughs> I write. So I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. But I do think even if you have one person that you trust, whether that's in your department, whether that's outside of institution, whether it's a former um, classmate, um, someone that can kind of, that's not like in direct competition with you, that can relate to the struggles of what it is to be a leader or what it is to be in academia, but then also can provide a personal perspective. Um, I've had to tell people, why are you like, why are you pushing yourself? Why are you trying to write five Mm. plants in one week? Like, you know, and then, you know, or vice versa to me, yeah, too, yeah, and stuff yeah. like, because as academics, you all know this. I'm sure Laura, Aaron, and Nee, too, you all can, because we take on too much. Like, mm-hmm. we want to do anything. <laughs> I mean, we want to do, do everything. And it takes to take a step back to realize we don't have to do everything. You know, we can, like Aaron said, you could ask people for help. You can, you know, you can delegate. You know, mm-hmm. delegating is your best friend as a leader. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to delegate. And it's something I'm even learning very slowly how to do and stuff. And you'll be shocked at how much pressure comes off when you delegate yeah. to people that you trust that can get the job done. Um, I also, within my lab, do too. I encourage my lab members specifically to be very honest with me about their personal lives too. We talk, mm-hmm. I, I create an open space yeah. about like, how are you, how are you doing with family? How's, you know, your mental health? How is that mm-hmm. going? You know, um, you know, are you feeling well today? You know, I talk to my lab members about, or they share with me about everything, marriage, yeah. their desire to get married, babies, yeah. et cetera, because it all impacts your work. So yeah. we got to clear that stuff out now before mm-hmm. we could even start thinking about, you know, work and, and stuff. Yeah. So I've modeled that with them and it's made them much more comfortable. And I've yeah. noticed that the productivity 
of our work exceeds, you know, it, it exceeds just from, you know, having them feel safe in the space. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I'm glad you share that too, because I feel like that's one of those things that we could really change the culture mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to do that too. But it's funny sometimes because it's so against the academic culture. Yeah. For a long time, I could tell people I had a hard time doing yeah. that. Like yeah. I would try to check in and I'd be like, okay, we're not going to talk about the science. How are you doing overall? And then people go straight into the science. I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> no science. You I just, know. but it just, I know. Yeah. it takes work. But the one people actually catch that and realize it, like you said, one is just better for everyone's overall well-being. And it's not, it actually and it's not, impacts and it's not the work too. And it's not everybody that I do that with. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I promised my lab members that I am dedicated to their success. So when we have our check-ins, sometimes mm-hmm. when we have a check-in and we won't even talk about science, we'll talk yeah. about a breakup or something, mm-hmm. you know, that's really bothering them. Because I'm also a social worker too, so I could also <laughs> always sense yeah. when somebody's off, you know? <laughs> and I'll be like, wait, forget about the, the paper that we're supposed to be working on. How are you doing? What's going on? You know, what's going mm-hmm. on with you? And then they're able to like, you know, we're able to pour, I'm able to pour into them yeah. um, in that, in that regard too. But I can't do that with everybody. That's because true. Yeah. I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't get any work done. <laughs> any work done. <laughs> so, you know, so I, you know, so sometimes it's just very few people and that's usually my lab members that I can carve yeah. out my time for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Maybe the, the truth is that you shouldn't yeah. do it with everybody. I mean, there certainly have been times where I've shared and it came back yes. in, a, in a negative way. Um, I think if I were a listener to add to what these amazing women said is that the truth is there are days you want to take to the bed. I mean, it is, Mm. some days are hard. And I think, um, I would have loved to have heard that Mm. from, from my mentors that some days Mm. are just that hard. Um, but I think for me, I, it requires self-study. You know, I used to see people garden and I thought, okay, buy gardening tools. That's not it. I don't like getting dirty, right? Um, but then I realized uh, you said writing. For me, it's reading. I love reading and I love reading about um, per- people's experiences. And I just absorb what I'm reading and the expertise and the vulnerability that people lay out in books. So I'm, I'm really excited to read the books that, that might emanate from, from <laughs> the show. Um, but I, I also want to say that I, I invest for me, it's been about investing that time in a professional mm. coach and a, a mm. spiritual director and, and making sure that I'm not only growing and learning every day, but also nourishing my relationship mm. with God. And, and that that is important for me. Um, and, and that takes time. I don't think people realize that you've got to invest time there. And, and so I have a professional slash spiritual coach that guides me in my journey and that knows uh, all aspects of my life, including yeah. being a mom, right? All of those things together. And I think I've invested a lot of time in a person that is just so vested in me now. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that takes time though. That takes time. I love, yeah, that, you so said good. That. I love that you added that um, spirituality piece, Laura, because I think it's very important. Um, like I, I tried my, for at least, at least for myself, I have practiced being in a constant state of gratitude mm-hmm. and, um, and on days where I'm like overwhelmed with responsibilities, I have to stop and say, wait a minute. Like I am, at a fantastic institution. I'm leading the lab of my dreams. I love my team. I have all these, you know, prestigious grants that's letting me do all this great work. Like really stopping and you know, every mm. morning and being in a state of gratitude. And I encourage my lab members to do the same. Because mm. sometimes just, you know, life, you know, can really, you know, make you feel like you are a loser 
you're not getting anything done, you're horrible. And it's like, that is far from the truth. And it's far from the truth. And if we allow that to seep into our brains, you know, it, it would, it would um, you know, really ruin us and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I start off my day praying, reading a little bit of the Bible. That's what works for me, you know? And honestly, when I don't do that, when I don't start off my day, just carving out that time to just mm-hmm. um, pray, talk to God, be in a state of gratitude. It's like my day is chaotic. It's chaotic, you know, like it really, like it really is. Like so, and for some people, they may want to meditate in the morning. I think it's just best to just carve out time in the morning to just think, to just be, mm-hmm. instead of getting up and just being in this rat race. You know, um, it doesn't benefit anyone, you know, to mm-hmm. do that. So, um, so thank you for for sharing that, Laura. It made me think that I think as a leader, me, you realize yeah. that you're a tone yeah. setter. Yeah. I'm a tone setter in my home. I'm a tone setter the minute I walk into my lab. I'm a tone setter when I go to leadership meetings. And if I don't spend time ensuring that I'm going to bring my best mm. self <laughs> to those tables, uh, I, I know that I'm responsible mm. for that tone that I set in, in my leadership roles, yeah. including so, at home, right? Yeah. You guys brought up something, though, that's, wow, that, so is, good. that is really important. And it's like it is the reflection, right? It's like reminding yourself that like we really, really chose to be like all of us have described. We've said this. We're passionate. Like this. I do not feel like I'm working. This does not feel like a job to me. I love what I do every day and I get to get up and do this. Like I get to look, I love talking to people. My job is talking to amazing people who are inspiring every day, all day. Like how is someone pays me to do that? And so I do have days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. And I remind myself every day. I'm like, I don't have to do this. I do not have to do this. And so then I say, okay, I don't have to do this. This is a choice. And then I think, oh, it's a bad day. But like overall, I love my life. I love my colleagues. I love my friends. And I do think sometimes, again, I I do think back to grad school where you're just hyper-focused on one problem. It it is really easy to forget that like, it's a privilege to be in these positions. Not everyone gets to do that. Some like not everyone has the flexibility to have a career, not a job. And like you worked really hard to get to this point Mm. where you, you, what you're doing is hard, but it's hard because you have the privilege to kind of do what you're passionate about and not everyone has that. And so I do think like Mm -hmm. reflecting and really thinking about the fact that we get to wake up every day and do what we want. Like that's our job. Like, yeah, it's exhausting sometimes, but it's exhausting because you're fighting for the privilege to literally be able to do whatever you want all the time, which is, it's pretty unique. It's a big privilege. Absolutely. Yeah. Really well said. I mean, the time's going too fast. So many things (laughs) I want to kind of keep going on too. And I mean, again, just so many themes that you all are tying together to Um, the privilege, Aaron, that you talked about. Laura, even that tone setting that you mentioned too, I mean, that really, really hit me too, because there's so many ways that we do that. I think I've tried to be more cognizant of that recently. Um, and in both on both sides of what you talked about too. I mean, whether I'm having a good day, carefully kind of setting the tone when things are heavy so that people don't have to wonder, why does knee seem a little bit off today? Mm-hmm. Like if I just, and again, with, with certain groups, with my lab team, if I lead with that and open up the space for them to have dialogue, then they don't have to be second guessing or wondering about me as a leader, but they also have room, as you all already mentioned, to enter into that on their own too. And to be honest with me, when they step into my office to say, okay, this is really bothering me today. I'm having a hard time. So we can actually move together. 
as a team more so than trying to uh, to put up a front, which is not effective. And I know we have a social worker amongst us right now. So I know that's kind of an <laughs> you could unfair, dive into that more than I could, but an unfair advantage of running of leading a team, right, is the fact that you have experience really with the human aspect, you know, you become a leader, science is weird, we train people mm -hmm. to do pipetting and do these very specific things. And then one day, you wake up and you're like, Oh, my goodness, I'm leading a lab and I'm managing people and I have no <laughs> training in this. How do I do what mm -hmm. you're describing sense when people mm -hmm. aren't going to aren't feeling comfortable talking to me and giving them space? And it is really it is a really big challenge. And so I, I do. I love always list, love listening to how people organize that, because that's the one thing that we have really no mm -hmm. formal training in. But then it's almost our entire yeah. job. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, we're managing we're managing a business. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to add on one thing we have no idea of doing, I think fin financial financial yeah. accounting and budgeting. I know that's that could be a whole separate podcast. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot that we're just like learning on the go. But I, I do agree, my social work skills come in handy mm. really, really mm. well <laughs> in this space, you know. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. <laughs> But the mentoring is there too. I mean, even think about something that Laura mentioned. So that was one piece of advice I got as I stepped into different leadership positions, being fortunate to know scientists who are president of universities and colleges, and just talking about the importance of having some type of coaching. Yeah. Like you don't need to step into a leadership position like carte blanche with no information. There are people who can be outside, who can give you perspectives, mm -hmm. who can give you those tips about, well, how do you manage a team or how do you work with your budget or even connect you with other resources. I mean, to think about some of the points um, that Aaron talked about as well. So I think that's another piece of it, just realizing that there are resources there that we can tap into, even though, yes, we are in a an odd training environment where we're not trained to do a thing that we do mostly yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, so I think the time is going fast. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, you're good. I was going to say, I think something that someone's mentioned, it may have been Aaron that mentioned it, but the importance of humility um, as a leader, you have to be humble. I have no shame in asking someone who's more senior than me, or even yeah. like, or even someone that's on the same level or junior than me that is doing something really well. I'm trying to figure out, wait a minute, how did they do that? I'll, and I'll ask them like, please, can I carve out time to talk to you, take you out for lunch, mm, you know, for yeah. coffee to figure out, you know, whatever it is that, you know, that they're doing. And I think that's, that is what's helped me greatly to succeed. I don't mm. pretend to know it all. Yeah. I tell my lab all the time, I don't know it all. Like, this mm. is why I have a team. This is why, this is why, this is why I have yep. to do that stuff. So I, I think that's the that's probably the biggest advice that I would give to any scientist mm. um, who is starting their lab or um, wanting to become a leader. Humility in some aspects is so important. I, yeah. I'll add one thing. because I, I do, Aaron, you I, have a thought. Go ahead. I do. I think about this a lot. I think the reason people are afraid... <laughs> to have humility is because they feel like in some ways, everyone around us is exceptional. And people feel like if they tell people they're not mm -hmm. good at something, people will think that they don't belong there. And I, and I think this is a huge deal, but what mm -hmm. I, I've been telling people this kind of joke that yeah. inspires me, I'm in Vanderbilt. Everybody was like, Ivy League education, 
my parents are sports people and I went to a state school to play sports. And so every day I think if someone says to me like, how did you get here? I think that's not embarrassing for me. It's embarrassing for you that you worked so hard and you're sitting at a table with this idiot <laughs> like that. That's not embarrassing for me. <laughs> and so I try to like, you know, one, I like make everything a joke, but two, I try to really reflect on like, why are people afraid to say they're not good enough? Like, look, sometimes I don't know stuff. I say dumb stuff all the time and like, that's okay. And that's how I learn is by saying something stupid, someone corrects yep. me and I say, I won't do that again. But I do try to talk to my trainees and I say, it's okay to not know everything. And if someone makes you feel like you don't belong because you don't, that is their problem, not yours. Yeah. Yeah. You're not that's an so idiot. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I, I am. And that's okay. <laughs> we can We can all do dumb things at times. But that doesn't mean that we're dumb or idiots. <laughs> but like you said, I mean, that's that's the way we I mean, that's another thing. I'm always telling trainees, like if a trainee makes a mistake, then I'm going back and telling them about all the mistakes that I made. And that's why I can actually give them the advice that I'm giving them because I made all those mistakes in the first Absolutely. place. So Absolutely. Yeah. And it's definitely like going through it yeah. and being able to share that experience. I went through it and look at where I am. So I don't want you to go through this. Yeah. And then you, you see the light bulb. Yeah. So people are like, oh. Like you didn't do everything perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody would say that, but I think people right. still think that in their yeah, minds. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to add to what Aaron said because I remember reading a, a chapter in a book called Presumed Incompetent. <laughs> and I think part of the reason we're all afraid to say those things is if if you know and in particular if you come from a background of underprivileged or or in my case being a Mexican woman you know, you are very aware of what people already mm. have put you in a yeah. certain category. And I think when you say those things, and Aaron, I love your confidence, I, you worry that you're feeding into a stereotype. And that's, mm. that's, mm. that's a real thing. <laughs> and I think um, that that confidence, um, not everybody, it doesn't come naturally to everyone. And if there's listeners for which it does not come naturally to, I would say mm -hmm. that it didn't to me. It certainly didn't to me. And that fear of like, ah, oh, you know, they're going to put me in the, you know, mm -hmm. Latina category mm -hmm. or whatever yeah. negative is there. There's positives for sure. Uh, but whatever negative may be there that, that I may accidentally bring along. Yeah. Right. Well, that's a really helpful perspective too. And to hear the way that you're continuing mm -hmm. to like, I mean, you had that kind of in the back of your mind, you worked through it and it's still there. So, I mean, that's just an honest, I think that'll empower folks as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I start Absolutely. off really early with kids, um, especially young girls, but telling them you're smarter than a lot of people. Mm. Because black girls don't hear that, you know? Yeah. So it's it's important for you to, to own that, you know, because confidence well, you know, confidence actually, a lot of this stuff really is confidence. Like yeah. the confidence will take you so far. Yep. So yep. even for me, like, I know I'm exceptional. I already know that, you know, like, I'm not like trying to just brag, but I know I am, <laughs> you know, I know, like, I know how hard I've worked. Mm. I know how hard mm. I worked. And I know that I, I'm not here, you know, by accident. Mm. You know, I know that I deserve to be in this space. Mm. Um, my colleagues know that my department, mm -hmm. my school, you know, Yale knows that. And I'm grateful for it. You know, it doesn't mean that, I can't be humble in the sense of knowing that I don't know it all. I don't. Yeah. Um, and I think that in itself is a beautiful thing to be, to know that I belong here. I'm intelligent. I'm brilliant. I worked hard and I don't know it all, but that mm -hmm. doesn't make me feel like I, like I'm feeding into the stereotype. I agree with Laura. Like people are going to have stereotypes about you, especially as women. 
especially as women of color, you know, um, you know, so absolutely. But I also tell my students that don't feed into those stereotypes, but also ignore mm. those stereotypes. People, but people, there are people that are just not going to like you no matter what you do. And mm. you just can't, you know, you just can't avoid that and stuff, but ignore them, focus on the prize, focus on your goal and also have people around you like us, like mentors who will lift you up because yeah. what students go, especially what they're going through now, they need to be lifted up, yeah. you know, constantly. What scientists are going through now, you have to be lifted up. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I agree with uh, your statements, Laura. Yeah. This, this is good. We're going to have to have a part two. There's so much stuff to still kind of jump into. But one, one last question for all of you, just with everything that we've touched on, what, and you've already actually hinted this, but what gives you hope on a day-to-day -day basis as you go about this work and as you're in your vocations? Lori, I, I'm not, I, I shouldn't, but I'm going to pick on you to go first because you look, you look like you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure, but I, I, um, gosh, being in El Paso, you know, I, we see the mm. immigrants coming mm. from different countries and you hear the challenges and my beautiful mother has volunteered to transport immigrants to the airport and, mm. and gets to know people that are overcoming tremendous obstacles and the truth is that they're hopeful and they're spiritual and they're faithful and they're hopeful and they're hopeful and they're hopeful and who am i <laughs> who am i to not be grateful and to look at every day and the blessings that I, that i have every day and so i feel um on this platform to say i feel very safe i feel very loved i feel very welcoming and i'm so proud of our community um and there's so much hope in the students you know i have a student in my lab that crosses the border wow. every single day to come and work and so you know again who am i and, and he's excited and he's i set the tone for him because wow he got here today on time and excited and, and ready to work and and that gives me so much hope and so much inspiration because there's so much good. There is so much wow. good. That's so well said. And I mean, huge perspective too, just to be able to remember that and to reflect on that, even as you're serving others. So Aaron, what about you? Yeah. Oh man, the next, this next generation, I, I know like, you know, a lot of people that there's been like a huge cultural shift recently. And I think that that's, you know, every time there's a cultural shift, it's terrifying to people, right? Especially as younger mm -hmm. people start to basically say, we want things to look different. Um, but what I will tell you, because as the director of the addiction center, we work with high school students and we do a bunch of community facing mm -hmm. projects where these students come in, they meet with us and they say, how do you want to impact the community? And how do you want to impact addiction in your community? These students, they're bright, they want knowledge. They want to learn. They, they, they're on, you know, social media platforms are really challenging, but they want to have the correct information and mm. figure out ways to reach these communities. And mm. so you're, when I was in high school, I was like, was playing sports and doing stuff, right? These students are saying, how can I impact my community? How can I learn about addiction? How can I do this? And so I'm sitting here with students that are really young and they are they have more information at their fingertips than ever and so i think yeah it's inspiring that they want to be part of the solution like how do we fight misinformation how do we create content that really helps people and so i think you know waking up and you do see a lot of conversation about oh things are changing but i think in a lot of ways things are changing because they want a future for themselves 
that is different mm -hmm. than what we've had. And I think on some level you have to be like, wow, that's amazing that they have a vision and they're trying to figure out how to enact yeah. that. And so it's a great part of our job. Every day you come in and your lab like kind of stays the same age. Like you get older, but they still stay there. <laughs> and so like you get up every day. I have to think about that. I know it's, but they're, they bring the enthusiasm, the excitement. And so every, even when I'm feeling like yeah. exhausted, they're amped. It's the first time they've discovered something. It's the first time they thought of something. And I think that that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you're, I mean, you're stewarding that too. In those conversations with the high schools and your lab. So it's the fun part of the job. That's wonderful. Not that I don't like talking yeah. to, se to senior faculty, but it's like a lot less exciting. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. I could ask you where, where all of us fall in that. In that no, you guys are. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> depends on the day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair. You, Joe, may you want to close us out with your may, thoughts? May, may you repeat the question again? Is it what yeah, just hope? what gives you hope on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of keep going in the work you're doing in the vocation? Yeah. I know you hinted at that already, but... Yeah, I, so definitely um, my lab gives me hope. Um, just seeing so many people come in and not having any experience in research, not even understanding how they could use research to impact a community directly and then seeing that play out and seeing them want a future in this work, you know, um, mm. doing this work. Um, and like Aaron mentioned, you know, even younger with like high school students. Um, I work with high school students as well. And when I was in high school, I never had these opportunities. Mm. And to be able to be in the position where I can give high school students opportunities to intern in my lab, to come to Yale, to visit, to, you know, to, to make them feel comfortable at a place as like this, I'm grateful for it. I'm very hopeful. This generation is brilliant and they're not taking any nonsense. So I, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm here for it. I, I support them. I love it. Um, I love their passion. I love their drive and I love what they're able to do with opportunities. So um, I'm really hopeful for them. It seems a little messy right now and it is, but mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that this generation is going to come out really strong. Yeah. And to that point too, like what they're learning through the mess, I mean, it's huge because you all yes. talked about that too. Yeah. So just to have that level of experience and mm -hmm. maturity mm -hmm. is just is just going to continue to move things forward in, in a huge way. So, Absolutely. well, like I said, there might need to be another part two of this, this conversation. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Again, I'm grateful that you all were able to kind of that we actually got everybody on the call at the same time. Uh, this is yeah, a cliche, we... but these conversations always give me hope. I feel like I already learned a lot from all of you. Hopefully you felt that amongst each other mm -hmm. as you're asking Absolutely. each other questions too. But I know listeners Absolutely. are definitely going to enjoy this one. Might have to listen to it a few times. So <laughs> thanks so much to all of you for joining. <laughs> this was great. And keep up with the work that you're doing and just the balance that you all mentioned with the self-care. I mean, I think that's another key theme that really came across. So definitely appreciate you all. Thanks so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Nee, for having us. Thank you. <laughs>